In the Old Testament, the psalmist reminds us of the fact that it's good to come into the house of the Lord. And while this building is not sacred in itself, the people who are here are saints. And we are gathered together as the family of our God to worship Him, and we have done that already. And we're glad to have capable men who can read Scripture, lead prayer, and lead us in singing, and a congregation that enjoys singing is always a benefit to that as well. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 18, where we have already looked at a couple of times over the course of the last few Sunday evenings that I've been able to share some messages as we think about the particular messages of angels. Glad that you're here tonight, especially those of you that are new to this area or those that are visiting with us. We are continuing tonight with our third installment in a series of studies on understanding angels better. And as I have mentioned in the previous two sermons earlier in 2022, the subtitle is not Understanding Angels Altogether. And I say that just as a reminder that there are a number of things about angels that we are unsure of, that remain shrouded in mystery that we just don't know about. But there are things that are revealed, and we want this to not just be an academic study so that we can say we studied angels, but so that we can maybe learn just a couple of things along the way that help us to appreciate uh, their role and the various messages that come our way. And so tonight we look at session three. We looked back in the earlier part of the year at an introduction to angels, and we did kind of an overview of what the scriptures say on the subject of these uh, angelic beings. And then secondly, we looked at the various roles that they played. And you may recall that one of the roles that messenger or that angels played uh, is being a messenger. And you say, wait a minute. You stumbled over your words. You could say I did that on purpose because you remember what an angel is. It is someone who is sent as a dispatcher, someone who is dispatched to deliver a message of God. So to say that an angel is a messenger is in many ways to say that a messenger is an angel that comes from God. And so we're going to talk about the importance of messages very briefly, and then we're just going to look at uh, some Old Testament and New Testament examples of messages where angels came and delivered God's answers to people, assistance, or otherwise provided them with messages of importance. So we start with the importance of messages to understand this, that God created us on earth but allows us to follow him and to render appropriate obedience to him. And God could have said, good luck, just see how you can figure it out yourself. And that would have in some ways been cruel and unfair. But he says, no, I'm going to give you the word wherein you can read and Ephesians chapter 3, you may understand it. And there are different ways that that word was revealed and has been revealed for us to understand it. And the fact is, is it was necessary, therefore, that God communicate with us so that we know what it is necessary to do and not to do. And we have the volume, the entire book of 66 books that provide us with everything we need to know that pertain to life and godliness, as Peter would write to the early uh, disciples some 2,000 years ago. 
But the fact is, is we have to acknowledge that God chose to reveal his will in a number of different ways. That's Hebrews chapter 1, the very first sentence, verses 1 through 4. And he did so sometimes by angels delivering messages to mankind. Now, if an angel comes today and delivers a message that is contrary to what we have heard, or if a man comes and delivers a message that is contrary to what we have heard, we know exactly what to do with it. We're to take it and throw it away and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that false doctrine. And we know that there are messengers today, whether they be on TV or in buildings like this, even maybe good intention, but have been misled by the teachings of men and by the false doctrines of mankind, and they teach those things that are not true. And I appreciate our brother reading us uh, Galatians chapter 1, where we began a few moments ago. And we'll, we'll close with Galatians chapter 1 in our study together this afternoon. I want to look and examine the Old Testament, starting here in the book of Genesis. And I think you will agree with me, though you may be surprised at the numerous instances in which it occurs, that angels in the Old Testament were regularly assigned by our Lord to deliver messages of instruction and of judgment. So I want to look at five of those examples, and then we'll turn our attention to the New Testament as well as we look at some examples of Old Testament messages that come from angels. And then as we develop our study later into 2022, Lord willing, we'll talk about guardian angels. We'll talk about the relationship between the Lord and angels. We'll talk about where Satan came from and a number of other various important topics. I want to start here in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. We will not read all of these verses, but we'll read a handful of them here where the Bible records that the Lord appeared to him by the trees as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. It says, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And he says, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. And then he goes on to say, let's make a meal for you. Let's show you hospitality. And we've stressed over the course of our studies of Old Testament classic passages that hospitality was an important component of their, uh, of, of their tradition and other routines. Verse 9 is the famous, where is Sarah your wife? And you remember the story as it develops into chapters 18 and following. And he says in verse 10, I will certainly return to you according to the time of your life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, the various uh, record that's transpiring here is important to remember in light of the fact that this was over 20 years after God's initial promise to Abraham that he would have a son. Abraham is an old man, and we can say old because he was officially old by this point. And the fact is, is these were things that God could have chosen a prophet to come to him. He could have chosen a king. God could have spoken directly, but God chose to do so through an angel. And as you read chapters 18 and 19, you see where these men are identified as angels. There's another instance that I want us to look at here, and that is also in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at two instances in the book of Genesis and then advance on. And that is the story of Jacob and his assistance in fleeing Laban. This is one that I would not have thought of 
about unless I had studied this ahead of time. But turn over, if you would, to Genesis chapter 31, and I want to read a dozen verses or so. We'll read them rather quickly and then come back and make an observation or two about them. It says that Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. So there's this envy and jealousy and backbiting that's transpiring. Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock, and he says, I see your father's countenance. That it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. And then he goes on and he talks about the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. If the streak shall be your wages, all the flocks bore streak. You remember that account? So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given it to me. And it happened. At that time, when the flocks conceived, that I lifted my eyes, and I saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. And then, verse 11, and we'll talk again particularly about the angel of the Lord later in 2022, but it says here, Jacob, and he says, here I am. And he says, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which shall leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Now, a man can't say that in all honesty, right? A man can't say, I've seen everything you've been going through. I mean, we can say that figuratively, but that's not reality. I see some of what you're going through. But an angel, a divine messenger, someone who is dispatched from God, has different abilities to see things that are beyond what a human is able to see. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Now I'm not going to say anything about verse 13 because I want you to show up for the angel of the Lord sermon that's slated for later this year. But verse 13 to me begs the question, what just happened there? Because in verse 12, the fact is, is it's an angel speaking. And verse 13, the angel says what? I am the Lord. I am God who you made a vow to earlier. This, it seems to me, is a study for another time later in 2022. But this message of assurance would have been comforting to the fearful Jacob. Put yourself in the sandals of Jacob, and here's a man who is fearful because the countenance of the person who has been, uh, he, who has been in charge of his life now for, for over a dozen years, he's saying his countenance has fallen. He is no longer favorable about me or to me, and he's alarmed with that concept. But this message of assurance where the angel says, in essence, things are going to be okay. I'll provide for you. I will rescue you. I will be there to deliver you. Thirdly, let's go over to the book of Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. And this is an example that probably does come to mind because of its familiarity with us. But in Exodus chapter 3, we read about Moses where God says, I will help you to deliver Israel. In Exodus chapter 3, it says, Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside and looked, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So here is Moses getting ready to get this incredible charge, this uh, very important role that has been depicted in Hollywood movies that even people who are not really familiar with Scripture, they understand the story of Moses and the plagues in Egypt. And here's the beginning. Here's the outset of that. And God says, I have an angel to comfort you, an angel to deliver a message to you, an angel to assist you in your difficult ways. And of course, that conversation lasts through part of chapter 4 with the various reasons, or some may say excuses, that are uttered by Moses in the, in the conversation back and forth between the Lord, between the angel, between Moses and the holy divine being. Interestingly enough, turn over, if you would, to Psalm 78, because this uh, I always think about Psalm 78 when I think about this particular text. But Psalm 78 is a very lengthy text, uh, and we're just going to read one quick verse here. This is where it's talking about the uh, plagues, and we're familiar with how many there were, and our children, ages probably eight and up, could, maybe younger, could tell you what half of all those plagues were. But in verse 49, it says, he cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath indignation and trouble. Now watch verse 49, by sending angels of destruction among them. If I'm understanding my Bible correctly, that when I go back and read the book of Exodus and I read about boils and I read about uh, the Nile being turned into blood, when I read about the locusts, when I read about all those different things that transpired, it tells me that God chose to deliver those messages, at least in part by way of his holy angels according to what the psalmist said in Psalm 78, verse 49. I want to look at a fourth example real quickly, and this is one that uh, some of us in the men's class recently studied, and we recently studied in our, in our examination of the book of Judges, and that is Gideon's call to service. So turn over, if you would, to the book of Judges, chapter 6, and we'll just read uh, two verses here very quickly. Judges chapter 6 says, The angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Orphra, which belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. And the reason he was doing that, the Holy Spirit reminds us, is in order to hide it from the Midianites. Because in the previous nine or ten verses, we saw the Midianites were oppressing Israel and being mean to Israel and being unfair. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I always thought it interesting that the first recorded words to this individual Gideon, who is going to be this great warrior, is he says, You are a mighty man of valor. And he says, The Lord is with you. Those were the words of the angel. The Lord is with you. You are a mighty man of valor. Maybe... We need to copy and paste that somewhere in our homes. Now, it's not a matter of God looking at you, saying that you are more special in in being like Gideon at that level of righteousness, 
But the fact is, is the Lord is with you and the Lord sees us as mighty, not as perfect, because even Gideon would struggle as you read over the next 20 verses or so. But indeed, the fact of the matter is, is we need to appreciate that the encouragement that Gideon received was instrumental in helping him to become the great leader that he was. The angel says, you can do it, and you will do it, because you are a servant of the Lord, a mighty man of valor. And then a fifth and final example, then we'll turn very quickly and look at a, at a couple of uh, New Testament examples, is dealing with the great king Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a favorite of many of us for so many different reasons. There are so many practical lessons in the life of Hezekiah. But turn over, if you would, to the book of Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. We are familiar with this because of what Isaiah had to say as well as what the author of Second Chronicles has to say. There's some parallel texts that go back and forth in a couple different places in Scripture. But notice what it says here in verse 20 through verse 22. It says, Because the king Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven, because they sought God, verse 21, the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captive in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land, and when they had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord, how? Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah by way of an angel who cut down every mighty man. Remember how we talked about the roles of angels? One of those four key roles as outlined in Scripture was that of deliverers or warriors. And so what happens in verse 22, the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, from the hand of all the others, and guided them on every side. So here you have an angel who is destroying who is delivering, and who is providing assistance to these people. I say all that because it seems to me that this is a timeless message, that whether it be through an angel, whether it be through his word, whether it be through prayer, whether it be through providence, we must trust God and he will provide. More on that concept in the concluding words in just a couple of moments. But let's just spend uh, the next five or ten minutes looking at some New Testament messages, which are similar to Old Testament messages, but there are some differences that we will explore perhaps later in our study in 2022. Throughout the New Testament, the, the books that make up what we call the New Testament, the angels were also given the task of delivering other types of messages of judgment or instruction. And we just recently, David in one of his classes uh, in the book of Acts talked about this. And we're going to look at four examples very quickly. One is the apostles and the ascension of Jesus. Now, if you are an apostle, if you're James or John or Peter or Andrew, whoever you are, and you are standing there, and you're watching Jesus ascend back to heaven, your friend, your master, your teacher, your confidant, your uh, trustworthy uh, role model is gone. And that makes you feel very uh, uneasy, sad. You pick whatever emotion that you want to associate with that, but that's an uneasy feeling. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8. Now I want to read just four verses here very early in the book of Acts. 
chapter eight or chapter one, verse eight says, "You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, and in Jerusalem." Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. That's kind of the the big tag verse that David used in his outline of the first half of the book of Acts, and in many ways, uh, all of the book of Acts as we continue developing that story. But then notice what happens in verse 9. When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them, in wide apparel. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. It is generally understood, and uh, I would not uh, have a qualm with someone who disagreed, but it is generally understood that when it talks about men in white apparel, whether that be at the tomb of Jesus uh, or whether that be here at the ascension of Jesus, is generally understood to be angelic characters. And this message was, it seems to me, twofold. One, it was a message of comfort, but it also seems to be to be a message of prodding. Now, you, I know you're disappointed. I know you're a little bit confused. I know this is happening really fast. But just keep moving on. Don't get so caught up. Don't stand here for the next three hours just looking and gazing up to heaven because that's probably what they would have done. Can you believe what we just witnessed? He says, all right, you've had a moment. There's your moment. Now let's move on. Sometimes we need to take our moments a little bit quicker and then move on and then move to do what God has asked us to do. And that seems to me to be one of the messages that is delivered by angels some 2,000 years ago. Secondly, in the book of Acts, sometimes we get so caught up in thinking about Philip and that's important because he's the teacher, and the Ethiopian, and that's important because he's the recipient of the message that we forget that there's an angel that's present there. And somebody said, wait a minute, I forgot there was an angel in Acts chapter uh, 8. But let's go to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to trust that you're familiar with the 8th chapter, uh, particularly the last half uh, where it starts in verse 26 and runs down to the end of the chapter. But just read one verse with me. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, who we had been introduced to earlier uh, in Acts. And it says, I want you to go, the angel says, toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. God could have spoken directly to Philip. God could have sent Peter to Philip. God could have sent some other spokesman to Philip, but for whatever reason, and the answer is, I don't know, he sends an angel. So here in chapter 8, verse 26, an angel delivers a very powerful message to Philip. And as always, I think it's important for us, and I'll leave this to some conjecture, because I I was thinking about this uh, a night or two ago at about three in the morning. Uh, I, was, I couldn't go to sleep, and I was thinking about some of these points that I was going to be making and, and just thinking about this particular concept here. But the application that came across to me was, is that God always provides a way for a sincere seeker of his will to find that message. And I think sometimes we really get nervous about those, especially 
maybe 50 years ago before the advent of the technology that we've had in the last 50 years, what if there's someone halfway across the world who's never heard of the gospel? What if the gospel's never gotten to them? We can be reasonably assured that the gospel has gotten to the entire world more so now than perhaps any time since Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says it's going to be delivered to the entire world. Or the book of Colossians, where it talks about the, the gospel being delivered to the entire world. God is not going to allow, it seems to me, an individual who is seeking uh, information about how to become a Christian, how to be a faithful child of God. He'll find a way for them. And one of the ways that he chose to in, in times past for sure was through an angel to go to Philip and say, I want you to go and preach to this man. I don't know if the Ethiopian ever knew about the angel. Bible doesn't record for us. Philip doesn't say, by the way, an angel told me to come talk to you. I don't know if the Ethiopian ever read Acts chapter 8. I'm kind of joking a little bit there. But he was very thankful for what that angel had done. He was very thankful for the message that came by way of him. Number three, how about Cornelius? Stay right there in Acts chapter 10, just a page over in your Bibles. And we read about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. We'll read this passage, and then we'll wrap up our study here in Acts 12 in just a moment. But in Acts chapter 10, it says, A certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. By the way, go back about four weeks ago, if you didn't catch Acts 10 class that David did, and he did a nice job of really kind of outlining those two verses, which talk about a man who does a lot of nice things, but yet was not found faithful in the sight of the Lord. And that's a good kind of two verses to kind of stick into your brain when you're talking to someone who says, well, I'm a good person. I don't need to be going to church. I don't need to be baptized. I don't need to read my Bible on a regular basis because here's a man who is doing some of those things in essence, but yet was not right in the sight of God. In the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid. And that's understandable. He says, what is it, Lord? He says, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. So send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, uh, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He'll tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he explained all to these things to them, he sent them to Joppa there in verse 8. So here's an interesting thing. We often talk about Cornelius as a Gentile, and rightly so. But consider the fact that God has used angels to deliver messages to non-Christians and to non-Jews. Now he's engaging, of course, in what Paul would be primarily responsible for, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, uh, the church at uh, Corinth and Ephesus. He makes reference to being a chosen vessel or other places in the New Testament. But that's, to me, a very powerful concept just to kind of mull in your head for a while. That brings us to a fourth and a final example, and that is about a man by the name of Peter and Herod, which we just recently talked about uh, last week in the tail end of uh, earlier today. So we read chapter 12, verse 24 at the outset of our Bible class period this morning, right? Where it says, the word of God grew and multiplied after Herod's 
violent death. Well, let's read, just to give ourselves a little bit of context here, a couple of verses. Uh, Chapter 12 says, uh, At the time Herod, the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with his sword. He did so because it pleased the Jews. This is a real quality kind of guy. Uh, This is the kind of guy that you want to invite over to your house for supper, right? No. Verse 5, Peter was kept in prison. Constant prayer was offered to him. Herod was about to bring him out. That night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between the two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, who comes and rescues him? Not just God, but an angel. An angel comes and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up. And he says, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. The angel then says, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out, followed the angel, did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Interesting point there to consider. Verse 10 says, When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. They went out and went down one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. Not only does the angel deliver a message to Peter, but the angel actually provides assistance to Peter by guaranteeing his safety getting him safely out through the different prison doors and getting him to where he needs to be. And of course, read the rest of of the the next 10 verses and you see Rhoda and you see the the brethren praying and she shuts the door on his face. One of the most comical scenes in biblical history, at least it seems to me, in which she says, we're busy praying for Peter, leave us alone. But then, that's not the last time an angel appears in chapter 12, is it? Because we see where another divine message comes to pass, and that's in the last couple of verses, which we just briefly touched on this morning and last week. When Herod, it said, had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, this is verse 20, they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. The people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And the context here demands for us to appreciate that rather than Herod saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm no God. I'm just simply a man. He's, he's puffed up. He's excited about this attention that he's getting. And what happens is verse 23 immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. He was eaten by worms and he died. So there are, I suppose, worse ways to go, but I'm not sure what those are. But he was killed by an angel, eaten by worms, and he died. Again, this goes to the opposite of what we looked at early in January and February, that angels are just peaceable characters. They are characters of peace and deliverance, as we've talked about tonight, and messengers of good news, but they also bring messages that you don't want to receive if you're on the receiving end, as was uh, the case here in Acts chapter 12. And so later, Herod is struck by an angel, and the angel kills him. Well, What about angel messages today? I'm not going to spend too much time on that because, number one, I don't know. I have some opinions on it, but you don't 
you aren't here for opinions. You're here for what the scriptures have to say. I do know a couple of things when we think about what role do angels play today. A lot of it is indeed shrouded in mystery. Let me suggest to you three things in that. One, we probably don't know for absolute sure. Now, I could probably take the word probably out of there and still be safe with that statement. We, we don't know for sure. Is it possible that angels play some role today? That's a possibility. Is it, someone, some, is it something that we know exactly about? No. Let me also suggest to you to come later in the year, I believe it's going to be in September, August or September, where we're going to look at this topic a little more fully. And then I want us to appreciate that three things are absolutely sure. And that is, number one, the Bible isn't being edited, going back to Galatians chapter 1. So for someone to come today in the 21st century, or as was done in the 19th century, famously, and say an angel spoke to me and gave me a new message, a New Testament, another uh, set of doctrines, that violates Jude 3 where it says that the message was delivered once for all. Two, believing an angel that teaches differently is being disobedient to God. And three, we cannot limit God's ability or choice to use messengers, particularly in comfort in times past and perhaps maybe in times present. I know that tonight's study has been a little bit different uh, because we have really focused on identifying these messages of angels in our attempt to understand them better. But I hope that it's helpful, and I appreciate the kind comments that you have shared with me about this series thus far. We are not quite halfway through the series, and Lord willing, uh, next month we'll look at some more aspects of angels and the angel of the Lord and Satan and where these individuals come from and things like that. But we began this evening by reading Galatians chapter 1, and we end with talking about Galatians chapter 1, which simply says, believe what the scriptures teach, not what a man teaches. And that's exactly what David talked about this morning when he talked on a difficult subject and the idea that we have to be ready for the end because there are real wages associated with sin, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We would invite you, if you are ready to become a Christian, and there are those who may be present who have never been baptized to have your sins washed away, we would welcome the opportunity to either A, baptize you tonight, or B, study with you on that subject. On that note, David and I are always ready to study, as are other members of this church. It's not just that it has to be David or myself. But there are so many individuals, including David and me, that are happy to study. And maybe you're getting close to that step to become a Christian. You say, I'm ready to be baptized, but not quite yet. Let's talk about that and see where you are in that development. If as a child of God, you're not living correctly and you need to make some sort of public correction, or you simply want the prayers of brothers and sisters and the God of creation and the God of angels to be there to save you, we would welcome the opportunity to help you with that. If we can't assist you in any way, let us know while together we stand and while we sing. <laughs>